And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people, and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. They will, then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up, and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourselves and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus called out with a loud voice, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So far the word of God. I guess the second volume of the book of Luke, which is uh, uh, the, the book of Acts. And so we're going to be turning now to Acts chapter 13. I'm going to read just a few verses there. Acts chapter 13. Uh, where we have a story of Barnabas and Paul uh, on a missionary journey in the city of Pisidian Antioch. And there on a Sabbath day, uh, Paul is invited in the synagogue to stand up and give a word of encouragement. Uh, We're picking the story up, just a few verses, in the middle of that sermon, really, uh, which he is preaching, uh, where he focuses our attention on the events of Good Friday, on the death of Jesus. So we're reading from Acts 
chapter 13, from verse 26 to 29. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worth of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Be great to get your Bible open there and let's pray, shall we? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the message of salvation. We thank you that it is powerful and effective. That it stirs even the darkest hearts. Thank you that it breaks through the most stubborn of sins. And we thank you that it has the power to change us and transform us. Lord God, we want to go away from here today changed. Having been shaped and impacted by your word. Uh, may you do that now, we ask, in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Have you ever stopped to consider uh, how many things, how many useless things your brain is filled with? How many useless bits of information? Uh, this has come home to me recently, uh, listening to the radio. Uh, I listen to anything from the last 10 years. I've got no idea what's going on. But I turn that dial to Gold FM. I can sing along just about every single word on that station. And it worries me. It worries me all of that wasted time learning lyrics that sit there somewhere. It worries me all the things that I don't know because of these lyrics sat there in my mind. Maybe there are things that you know that you don't really need to know. Maybe those things that you studied for once upon a time for an exam no longer has any relevance to your life. Uh, maybe it's that music theory that you studied for an instrument that you no longer play. Maybe it's all those details about a friend that you no longer have contact with. There are some things that we know that we don't really need to know. But then there are other things, other things that we know which are really important. Like your spouse's birth date. That's an important one to remember. Or the PIN number uh, to your card. <laughs> That's a very important one to remember. Or your logon details for Facebook. <laughs> uh, that's an important one to remember. This morning we want to have a look at these events. This event of the death of Jesus. And to see that this is not a nice to know. It's not a good to know. It's not a helpful to know. It's a must know that this event of the death of Jesus is not just a story. 
It's not a myth. It's not a parable. It's not an exaggeration. That this story is the absolute truth which we must know, have to know, have got to know, have got to believe in. If there is any hope for us, if there is any hope for this world. See, as Paul comes to this point in the middle of his sermon uh, there in Acts 13, as he comes to them in verse 26, he says something very special. He says, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham. So he's talking to, to Israelite men and women, Jewish, Jewish men and women there in the synagogue. And those among you who fear God, those who have been converted from paganism to believe in, to trust in the God of the Old Testament. He says, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. Now, our ESVs don't do a great job here. They hide, they hide what, what is being said here. That last little phrase, he says, it's just three words. The first word is logos. You know Greek, you know English? The word. The word of salvation has been sent to us. God's saving word, God's powerful word, God's transforming word, God's God's word, which does his work in this world, has been given to us. And what is that word? It's the word of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. If there is to be any hope, any life, any change, any power in our world and in our lives, this, says Paul, is it. The word of salvation given to us of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Today we're going to look at the first part of that. We're going to have a look at the death of Jesus. On Sunday, the plan is to have a look at the second part of this passage and see what it says about the resurrection. Today we want to notice two things that Paul says here about the death of Jesus that we need to know and trust and believe. And the first one is this, is that his death comes at the hands of men. The death of Jesus comes about because sinful men crucify him and put him to death. Have a look at what it says here in verse 27. It says, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. What's happened here? Jerusalem and its rulers have condemned Jesus. Verse 28, they, they found, him to be, uh, found in him no guilt worthy of death. They asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out everything written of him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. Here is Jesus being handed over, hung up on a tree, sign of a, sign of a curse, curse of God and the curse of people, taken down and put into a tomb because he is dead. Now, we might ask the question, what, what's so special about this? Uh, good people uh, get wrongly killed every day, don't they? Uh, we, we have, that, we have that, that phrase, you know, 
people are, are, are killed in a, in a horrible airstrike, the loss of innocent lives. Yeah, people who don't deserve those deaths get killed every day. What's so special about this thing? Two things I want to, we want to highlight. Firstly, it's at the hands of people who should have known better. What's different about this death? It's, it's done by people who had every opportunity to do something else. See, in the first part of the sermon, Paul unpacks, just in a few words, the whole history of God's dealing with his world, with Israel. He says that God, God chose them when they were in, when they were in Egypt. He called them to be his own. He prospered them. He blessed them. He put up with them, went through the desert when they grumbled and they moaned and they rebelled. He gave them their own land. He gave them David as their king. He, he promised that one day a son of David, a better king, a savior would come. We read in verse 27 here, every day they read in the, in the, temple, in the temple and in the synagogue. Every Saturday, Sabbath, they read of the promises of God. They knew of God's mercy. They knew of his plan. And yet they still put him to death. Second thing that is different about the death of Jesus. It is that the death of a completely innocent man. Except we, we use that phrase, don't we? That, you know, uh, the loss of innocent lives. We mean by that, don't we, that they don't deserve the, the kind of death they, they, they have. Not that they're perfect. Not that they've never done anything wrong. But that's not the case with Jesus. You notice how we read through in the story in Luke, how, how Luke highlights that again and again. Nothing wrong. Pilate can't find anything wrong. Herod can't find anything wrong. Even though he was completely innocent, it says here, here is the death of utterly innocent, never sinned, holds no guilt, no blame. This is the death of Jesus. Let me highlight two things that come, pause and notice a couple of things that come out of here. Paul doesn't treat the story of the death of Jesus as a story, as a myth, as an exaggeration. He doesn't treat it as a parable or an illustration of God's love. He treats it as a real, historical, and verifiable event that this Jesus did come. He did live. And that he did die. This is not just a story of salvation. A story of what is possible. A story of what God could do. This is the story of what God has done. Of what Jesus has done in his life and his death. This word, this message of salvation involves real events. A real Jesus and a real death. And without him and without his death, there is no word. There is no hope. There is no chance to be saved. 
You see, a belief in Jesus as a real man, a belief in Jesus and his death on the cross is not up for negotiation. It's not one of these things that we can think about whether it did or didn't happen. It's essential, and it's central to the message of the Bible. Without it, there is no hope. And without it, there is no salvation. Second thing we want to notice here is that this shows us the utter, utter sinfulness of the human heart. The utter rebellion of our lives. Because people who had every opportunity, who knew the grace and the goodness of God, who knew the saving works of God, who knew the promises of God, who had God stand in their midst and teach them and heal them and speak to them in kindness and compassion. People who had every single opportunity still put him to death. It's not just the story of sinful Israelite hearts. It's the story of sinful human hearts. That even with every opportunity under the sun, we will still reject the grace and the goodness of God. That we need a Savior to do it for us. We need a God who reaches out and makes the first move. We need a God who brings us to himself. Why does Jesus die? He dies because he comes to his own. Who with sinful, rebellious hearts. Reject the word and the promises of God. They put him up on a cross to die. To hand him back to the Father and say, We want to have nothing to do with him. That's the first thing we notice that Paul tells us here about the death of Jesus, that it's done at the hands of men. The second thing that we want to notice, and the final thing that we want to notice, is that it is done according to the will of God. Even though people do it, even though people are utterly responsible for what they do. It is not a mistake. It is not an error. This is actually the plan and the purpose of God. Have a look at what it says there in verse 27 again. The second heart of that. It says they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath. What's happened? Every, every Sabbath day, the promises of God, the plan of God is being read, read to them. They hear it, but they don't understand it. What do they do? They fulfilled them by condemning him. God's promises being fulfilled in their ignorance. Verse 29, and when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from a tree and laid him in the tomb. What's going on here? People are killing him 
but it's absolutely according to the plan and the will of God. You see, throughout the Old Testament, God has been promising and promising and promising. One day, a Savior will come. One day, a King will come who will bring God's people back to God. The whole way through the Old Testament, God is again and again highlighting sin needs to be dealt with. Our rebellion against God needs a sacrifice. Blood has got to pay for our sinful rebellion. Again and again throughout the Old Testament, God is promising one day He's going to do something about stubborn, rebellious hearts. He's going to renew people as He brings them back to Himself. He's going to change their hearts and change their minds so that instead of wanting to walk away from Him, they run towards Him. God's promising that He will do something about His creation. He will restore it. He will renew it. He will bring it back to what it was intended to be. What's happening there on the cross as Jesus hangs and dies is that He is fulfilling all of the promises, all of those hopes, all of those dreams. He is being the Savior of the world. He is taking away the sins of His people. He is renewing and restoring hearts and lives back to the Father. He is transforming community, relationships for His glory. He is renewing His creation back to Himself. How does the death of Jesus accomplish that? Because God the Father is laying on His Son the curse, the penalty, the punishment, and the guilt of sin. Jesus is suffering and dying, not just a human death, not just a physical death, but separation from His Father, carrying all the guilt and the punishment for sin on Himself, so that we might be set free. To believe in Jesus is not just to believe that he lived, and it's not just to believe that he died, but it's to believe that he died for sin, for my sin, in my place, that the punishment he bears is the punishment that I deserve. That the forsakenness of God that he experiences was the forsakenness that I'm, I should have. That in that act, my sin is forgiven. My life is renewed. And my heart is changed. That Jesus on the cross is my Savior in my place. And apart from Him, I have no hope, no life, no other chance. I know I'm going to steal Sunday's thunder a little bit, but I want you to jump with me to the end of that 
sermon, verse 38, where Paul comes to his application to his first readers, and he says this. Let it be known that to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. In Jesus, and in belief in his name, what is there? There is forgiveness. A washing clean of our sin. A washing clean of our hearts. No more guilt. No more punishment. No more broken relationship with our Father. There is forgiveness. And in Jesus, there is freedom. Freedom from everything the law could not do. Obeying God can never pay for our sin. Obeying God can never restore a relationship with our loving Father, our Creator. Obeying God can never change the state of our hearts. Obeying God can never restore a relationship. Obeying God cannot change the world. But Jesus can. And Jesus has. This is where hope lies. This is where freedom is. In the cross, in the empty grave of Jesus our Savior. Maybe it's possible that today you are hearing this story and this message, this word of salvation, for the very first time. Or maybe it's possible that today is the first time that it's really made sense. I can assure you that that's got absolutely nothing to do with me. And it's got everything to do with God and the work of His Spirit in your life. As he calls you, prompts you, moves you to come back to him through his son Jesus. To find forgiveness and freedom. To find life and joy and hope in Jesus our Savior. Maybe today we're getting called back to the cross. Back to the true source of our life, our hope, our joy, our peace. Maybe we're being reminded to quit trying to find it everywhere else. To come back and to know it and experience it in Jesus. Maybe we're being reminded of the wonderful, powerful news that the cross is. That it's not a story it's nothing to be ashamed of, but it's the power of God. The life, the news that brings hope, that changes lives. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he bore on his body 
our sin. That he bore what we, we deserve. He took what is ours so that we can go free. We thank you for your amazing, incredible, undeniable love that you would have mercy on us, that you would rescue us and give us every, every blessing. May this be our hope, our joy, our peace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.